We continue our series in Songs of Hope, uh, looking at four psalms here in the month of August. Today we're going to look at Psalm 131, a very short and very powerful psalm written by King David at some point in his life. We don't know when. It was during his rule and reign or before that. We, we don't know. And this psalm is a part of a collection of 15 psalms, and they all start with a title along the lines of a song of ascent, as it says right now on the overhead before us. Now, these were most likely songs, we believe, that were sung by the people as they came up to Jerusalem for feasts and other special occasions that they would particularly sing from this selection of songs. And it is this short little song that not only gives you a, a view from the heights of what it's like to be on top, but in fact, if you will listen carefully, if be open to what it says, it will show you the path of how to get there. And of course, it always means you have to start at the bottom. There's no shortcuts to getting to the top, but it is a surprising path. So would you read with me Psalm 131. This is God's word. A song of ascents of David. Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. This is God's word. Lord, would you bless now our eyes, our ears, our hearts through your word and your spirit working with it. That it might be more than ink on paper, pixels on the screen, sound waves hitting our eardrums, but it might be what you have said it is. Powerful and effective, life-giving and encouraging. And we pray with great hope you'll do that because we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's about 10 years ago, in fact, I think it'll be 10 years ago in September, that my wife and I went to Montana for a special training event for a few days and we had some extra free time during that trip. And I have never been out to that part of the United States, and it was great to take the opportunity to go sightseeing. And, and our host took us on the Beartooth Highway, named for one of the big fixtures there, uh, mountainy type, I don't know what you call those things, uh, ge geological features, the, the Beartooth Highway. And he took us up the Beartooth Highway, and when I say up, I mean up the Beartooth Highway. Because we were in Billings, and the, it's about 
5,000 feet above sea level. And here we're about sea level. So we were already at 5,000 feet having landed in Billings. And then to go up the Beartooth Highway, we climbed another 5,000 or so feet to arrive at about two miles in elevation. And to get there in not very many miles of distance meant a lot of those switchback hairpin turns going up and up and up with like a cliff on one side and just a sheer drop on the other, driving up and we're sitting in the back of, I think it was a station wagon. So even 10 years ago, station wagons were kind of old. And my wife and I in, in the middle row and then another couple of folks in the back row and our host in the front driving up this road up the Beartooth Highway, up a mile more into the air. And he was talking to us while he was driving. And he was talking to us and wanting to make eye contact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, this thing's around here. We're like, but you don't want to freak out because you don't want him to freak out because we're going to die. And cars would come the other way, but he'd be like, oh. oh yeah. It was stressful to no end. But we did get to the top, and it was worth it because the view was amazing. It's right on the Montana-Wyoming border, and we could see all the way to the Rockies. We could see to Colorado from there. And it was just, it was amazing and beautiful view once we got to the top. It's worth all the stress and strain. I sure wish there was an easier way to get there. Uh, maybe a different driver, I don't know. But uh, that was the option we had. Siri thought I said something. Do you hear that? What is that? Okay. That had nothing to do with what we're talking about, as far as I know. Uh, so uh, we get to the top. It's worth the trip, right? It was stressful. There's no shortcut. And our passage today, actually, in, in, a, in a similar way, points us to the fact that the Lord made you to see and experience the best view, the, the highest view of, of life. The Lord made you to ascend to the heights. And just like our trip up the heights, you know, there, there are no shortcuts. And it can be incredibly stressful. You have to start at the bottom. And in fact, that's really the challenge that I think our passage today focuses on, is that you have to start at the bottom. And there's a path you have to take. But ultimately, the view is worth it. You know, we don't like starting at the bottom. We would like to get there and to the top in an easier way, in a less stressful way. In fact, we like that so much sometimes, I think we kind of pretend we're already at the top, that we've already arrived, that we know what others don't, that we can do what others can't, that, that we're just already there. And if we're fooling anyway, anybody, it's really only ourselves that we're fooling. And more than that, 
we're missing out if we try to take a shortcut, if we try to go in our own strength, if we try to get to the top on our own, we're going to rob ourselves of the peace and the joy and the freedom that comes and that God intends for you. So let's join me here on this trip as we start at the bottom and we find our way to the top. This is an interesting psalm because we can just walk through it and it progresses just verse by verse. And so we start at the bottom with verse 1. And in particular, verse 1 addresses, first of all, your view of self, of, of who you are. This song of ascent, of going up which is what the word, that word is all about, starts by saying that the author and those of us who sing this psalm are not lifted up. That we begin our journey up by saying, you know what, we're, we're at the bottom. Look at verse 1, the title, A Song of Ascents of David. Verse 1, O Lord, my heart is not proud. My heart is not lifted up is the sense of that word. It, my heart is not high or exalted. And your heart is a biblical, common biblical reference to who you are deep down inside. Especially, it tends to, to address either your mind or your heart, or your mind or, or your will or your desires or feelings or all of those together. The heart addresses those aspects of intellect, emotions, and will that make us people. And so it's a shortcut for that. It's a way of addressing these things that are inside where we think and feel and choose to act. And the psalmist is saying and calling us to sing and confess and become a people whose hearts are not proud, that are not lifted up, that recognize that, that we have not arrived. And in fact, that we're at the bottom, starting the journey and the, the path to ascending starts at the bottom with a humble heart, a view of ourselves that's not lifted up. You know, ascending to get the best view is never going to be about getting puffed up. It's never going to be about you and, and your effort. And you're never going to get there unless you start at the bottom and recognize this need for humility. An attitude that says, you know, I, I haven't arrived. I have a lot to learn. And I'm open to listening. You know, just think about uh, worship and, and the way the Bible describes worship and, and posture alone. You know, you could see so many times where the, the posture of worship is to bow down. You know, to, to kneel down, to bow heads, to, to, get, to get lower, as we've talked about numerous times. So that is the, the essence of the place to approach God. That is, if you're seeking the God of, of heaven and earth, the heights and the glorious one, right? It starts by going the opposite direction, by lowering ourselves, by acknowledging how low we are. Pride has no place in worship, in fact, pride has to go for us to begin to climb. We will never find the path if we have too high a view of ourselves. 
Now it comes a little more clear as, as we look at this next aspect. It's so closely related, not only your view of self, but your view of others. Verse 1 continues, O Lord, my heart is not proud, and then this part, nor my eyes haughty. You know, the the heart is inside and, and generally about attitude. But he says the eyes, when he begins to speak about the eyes, what's he doing? He's now, okay, going outward. The way I interact with the world around me, he says, my eyes are not haughty, which is another word for, for heights, for lofty, for, for lifted up. It's hard not to feel some sense of superiority or, or pride. If, just let me try this with me. Look, put your head up for a second like this. Lift your nose in the air. Often we talk about people with their nose in the air, right? It's the same kind of expression. Your eyes are in the air. How do you feel right now? It's hard not to look down on all of you guys. Like, I'm looking over you. You don't even, you don't even register. Ah, you know, it's, wow, get, put your head down. Okay, now put, <laughs> get your nose back down. That's the sense here of, of this looking out at others. You know, a heart that is arrogant puffs ourselves up, right? But eyes that are haughty of looking outwards on others is going to push others down. And those things are so closely related. It's very hard to be uh, superior to others and not kind of then have a high view of yourself or to have a high view of yourself and not begin to look down on others. They're so closely intertwined in our hearts and in our lives. And as you seek the top, as you try to get to the heights and experience the best of life, very often this is what we do, right? We will build ourselves up and we will tear others down. And a high view of self is always going to lead to a low view of others. And a low view of others is always going to lead to a high view of ourselves. And begin to judge people and you begin to look down on people and talk about them. You label them. You know better than they even do what they really want and why they're doing what they're doing and what their real goal is. And you've just decided... Because you know, and you have put yourself on a different level than everyone else, and you've promoted yourself up above all. And that leads then to the third aspect that is also tied up. Not only your view of self and your view of others, but ultimately your view of God. That's where he goes at the end of verse 1. Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. And then this section, nor do I involve myself or literally walk in great matters or in things too difficult for me. The sense of, of great matters is most likely referring to kind of big projects and uh, massive endeavors of either, you know, real importance and status or size and complexity, those kind of things, right? But if, it, if it's coupled here as it is with things too difficult for me, that, that word, it's actually just one word, and it has to do with something marvelous, something in the old sense of that word, something wonderful in the old sense of that word, something incomprehensible, beyond 
human capability to understand. In essence, basically what he's saying is something along the lines of miraculous. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to involve myself with things that are just miraculous or even beyond my understanding. As Deuteronomy talks about, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to his people. That is the sense here that there are things which are too wonderful for me. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 18, very interesting saying. We don't have to go into a lot, but he says in Proverbs 30, 18 and 19, there are three things which are too wonderful for me, same word, four which I do not understand, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, and the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, those things all describing something that goes, wow, I don't understand it. How does the eagle fly in the sky? How, how does a serpent climb on a rock? It doesn't have legs or anything, you know? How, how does a ship go through the sea and stay afloat and move? I don't understand all that he's saying, basically. And then the punchline is, and the way of a man with a maiden. I don't understand how that could possibly happen. It's, you know, why would any woman take an interest in a man? You could maybe read it that way, right? Or how, how do you have any kind of relationship? There's so much there. It's just that sense. That's what's too wonderful, right? Things you don't understand. And he says, I'm, I'm going to, to not engage in those things. I, I, be, I will be willing to say, I don't know. I'll be willing to say, I'm not sure. I'm certainly not going to be dogmatic and all-knowing, proud and puffed up. And that has to do then with our understanding of God. Because as we have a high view of ourselves and as we have a you know, low view of others, and as we begin to think, I, you know, I can do about anything. I can understand anything. I can take on anything that I, and often we'll, we'll you know, cover that with some religious language, right? Through, through Christ, I can do all things. Yeah, okay. And that can lead to this kind of pride that can lead to essentially saying, I am equal with God. And that's a dangerous place to be. You will not find the path to the top and your view of God will affect, affect everything. Influencing your understanding of yourself and, and other people. Proverbs 30 also, verses 11 to 14 says this way, there's a kind of man or the, there's a generation who curses his father and does not bless his mother. There, there's a generation who's pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. There, there's a kind, oh, how lofty are his eyes, and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. There's a kind of man whose teeth are like swords, and his jaw teeth like knives to devour the afflicted from the earth and the needy from among men. You know, with a sense of being like God to decide how you treat people. You know, to denigrate and disparage people because you disagree with them. Because you know better. There's, there is literally no place for disrespecting any human being. 
But it gets worse than that because what we do is we wind up then not just disrespecting other people and our peers, but we disrespect and undermine any kind of authority because we know better. And this is a particularly Western problem and a particularly American problem. Whether you grew up here or you've just kind of adopted the way of life, this is what we swim in. That you don't have any right to tell me anything at all. And that I can do literally whatever I want. I can decide anything I want about myself. No matter the biology, no matter the reality, no matter the laws, no matter whether it's good for other people or even good for myself, I am my own law. And we, brothers and sisters, need to be careful that as we live in a culture like that, that we are paying attention to ourselves. And the place to go with that is to think about, and it's, this is one of the hardest things. Because if we do have the truth, right? And I believe we do, right here. It's really a challenge in this culture to not begin to get angry and to get frustrated and to tear down because nobody's listening. Because we've got what they need and they won't hear. But the thing we need to remember is that we're still at the bottom. Right? We might be a couple of steps on the path ahead of the people around us, but we're nowhere near the top, and there's only one at the top, and that is God Himself. And in His grace and mercy, He's revealed things to us. He's given us His Word, and He is setting us on a path where we can find what we need. We can make it up the mountain. And that's where we go with the next step here, is that not, not only do we start at the bottom, Right? But then we need to climb. And we can climb with freedom. That's our second point. Climbing with freedom up to the heights. And that starts with recognizing that it's not me, me, me. Look at verse 2. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. Okay, there is a focus on me here. Do you, do you see that? I, my, my, me. Specifically, my soul. And the soul is another broad term, very similar to heart. And it's, I, I would need to do a lot more study to be able to really tell you the difference, but it seems to me in the, in the study that I was able to do in this, that the, they're very closely related, right? The, the, the Shema uh, in Deuteronomy 6, one of the things it says in there about here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And then what does it say? Jesus quotes it as well. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might or, or strength, right? They're very closely related ideas for what's going on inside. But it seems to me soul in particular shades and leans toward just your, your relationship with God in particular as a created being and with other beings. You know, heart tends to be like, you, you know, your, your, 
your mind and your emotions and your will, how you function, but soul seems to be about your relationships, you know, and it's, I, I'm willing to be corrected on that one. I'm, please don't, you know, take that as gospel truth. Uh, it needs some more attention, but that is, I think, the sense, uh, if there's any real discernible difference. And for him to say now here, I've composed and quieted my soul. Composed is, is like a, a level plane, uh, like something smooth. Okay, I've composed my soul. It's not, you know, all uptight and full of waves and turbulence. It's, it's calm. Especially with the word here for quieted, which has to do with a sense of stillness. Then, So it's just this sense of I'm, I'm still. There's a hush over my soul. My soul is like, he says here in the image, a, a weaned child within me. The, the picture is that my soul is within me with similar to a weaned child with his mother. So child and no, child and soul, mother and within me, me. And so the sense is a weaned child is one who is no longer nursing, still a, a small child, right? But no longer nursing, no longer dependent upon his mother exclusively for nourishment, right? Eating solid foods, even if they're all ground up and taste yucky and come in a little jar, right? Okay. They didn't know about jars and all that, you know, canned peas and, whoa. That's just gross. I can, I can literally smell it. And it's been, I don't know how long, at least 10 years. Uh, Let's move on. So you have a weaned child, and now this weaned child is no longer dependent upon its mother, no longer rooting for nourishment, no longer fussy and agitated, but can just be there with his mother. And the picture then is what? This is my soul inside of me. It's no longer demanding. It's no longer fussy and rooting around for some form of nourishment. My soul is satisfied. It's not sucking the life out of me and telling me, you've got to get this. You've got to get that. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to worry about this and worry about that. My soul is calm. And, and I characterize that as it's not me, me, me but rather free, free, free. A soul that is no longer clinging to me. Right, there's a, and of course, you know, you're inside yourself, it's, it's you. So don't push that all too far. I'm not talking about some levels of different consciousness or something like that, right? It's saying essentially that, that the soul is finding satisfaction and in, in freedom in something different than what it has before. In something that I can't provide for my soul. That it's finding peace and hope somewhere else. No more self-seeking, no more delusion of what will satisfy. And here's the thing, your soul is not gonna be satisfied by you. 
Your soul is not going to be satisfied by you, by your achievements, by anything that you can acquire or anything that you can do or any experience you can have. Your soul is not going to be satisfied by those. In fact, the more you believe that lie, the more you're going to be enslaved to it and continue pursuing it more and more until it sucks the life out of you completely and you're just an empty shell. So then that leaves us with that question, well, you know, how do you, where can you find that kind of satisfaction? Where, where do I need to take my soul, if not to me or anything I can provide, where do I take my soul that it would be satisfied? And that leads us to the last point of arriving at the heights where we arrive and stay. Verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord. This is the satisfaction. And it's a command. Hope in the Lord. And as the sense of, of, of waiting with confident expectation. Trust. Pastor Dave with the kids earlier did a good job of explaining this. That, that it's not a wishful thinking at all. It's a confident expectation that says, I'm willing to wait. I'm trusting. I don't understand how it's going to turn out, but I will trust. That's the call here. Hope in the Lord. Trust the Lord. Expect the Lord. Hold on to promised... What was the last one? Hold on, hold on to promised... What was it? Eternal. Eternal? Eternals? What he said. Hold on to promised eternals. That, that hope. And that's what we hold on to, right? The, the hope in the scripture is very often linked to God's word. In fact, just one psalm back, Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. Same word. That's the place where we go to. That's the place that your soul is going to be satisfied. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You taste and see Him by experiencing His Word. Whether it's here in the Scriptures or in the visible Word of communion where we literally taste and see. 130 verse 7, Psalm 130 verse 7 also says, Hope in the Lord, for with Him there is loving kindness. With Him is abundant redemption. That it is only in the Lord... That you're going to find satisfaction. Amen. It's only in the Lord you're going to find peace. It's only in Him and looking to His promises as He's revealed Himself that you will find confidence. And so, in fact, the way you arrive and stay is to recognize in point three now that the Lord is the view. He is the view that you've been seeking. Right? You're trying to climb up the mountain. You're trying to get to the heights. And what you will find is that He's what you want to see. Right, that you want to experience Him. That's really, if you have the right mindset for worship, that's what we ought to be doing here. It's not like, oh, I'm coming so that I can have this experience and I can sing the songs I like and I can feel a certain way. That's okay and a good side effect. But you ought to be coming to worship to say, I want to see the Lord. I want to experience the joy of His presence with a bunch of people that want to do that too. 
that we can together, whatever we're singing, whatever we're saying, whatever we're studying, whatever's going on around us, that if we make the Lord the object of our vision and we say, this is what I want to see, this is the view I am seeking, to put our eyes on him, as this hymn goes, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, right? Like that, that doesn't mean that you never then look at the world, right? But one of the things that we ought to be doing here as we come together and worship is just having that desire that I want to see you, Lord. I want to see you high and lifted up. I want to see you. That we would pray, be thou my vision. Lord, let me be hungering and thirsting for righteousness and to find it only in you. And that's the only place we can go where we're going to stop the rooting around for satisfaction in other places. Where we begin to just hear the nagging inside that, you know, you're, you know if you were really important, this would happen, right? Or if you were really smart, this. Or if they really loved you, that. Or if you just do this a little bit more. To recognize that the Lord is the view, to hope in the Lord, and to recognize that you, know, you could see Him now and forever. Right? This is a view that's never going to go away. You know, we're not in Montana anymore, and I, you know, I have pictures of that view, but they don't capture it. If you go to the Grand Canyon and take pictures, it doesn't capture it, right? But this view, right, to recognize that the view is the Lord, that you can have that all the time. That you can see him now and forevermore. That you could see him always, in any moment, at any point in the day. He's always there. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Now, does that sound like a kind of shortcut to the top? It does, kind of, if you're paying attention, right? Because really what we've seen is not a lot of, of the journey requires a lot of us in doing other than to humble ourselves, other than to let go of a lot of other things, to open our hands like a beggar to receive what God will provide. And the reality is that the, the very bottom is where you meet Jesus Christ. That bottom of the journey if you start there at the bottom, and you, you, in a sense, you, you never leave the bottom. But at the same time, you're immediately at the top. If you trust in Jesus and recognize, I've had a really high view of myself, and I have a low view of others, and God, it's really because I'm not putting you at the top. And I want to see you at the top of my life. I want you, Lord, to reign over me. So as you start at the bottom, and you see, really, the only way that's going to happen is if I'm in Jesus Christ. Because he will take away my sin. He will bear my guilt and my shame. In fact, he's paid it all on the cross. That he came from the heights. Down. Not just to be among us. Right? Not just to teach us and show us how we ought to live. He did those things. But to then suffer and die and go even lower. 
to descend to the very depths where we all ought to go and where we are destined for if we don't look to Jesus Christ to set us free. If we don't acknowledge our own sin and guilt and our own desire to be God and our horrible opinions of other people and our uh, prideful attitudes and all the other things that go along with that, right? If we, if we don't recognize that, then, then we're doomed. We're never going to get there. But if, if we look to Jesus Christ, we're at the bottom and we're immediately at the top. And then in a sense, the whole climb is with a, a growing freedom. Really, the climb is the daily battle where we find ourselves needing to start at the bottom again with a view from the heights. And we kind of have a double vision, so to speak. We kind of have uh, our hearts that are set on things above, even while we are here below. We have two views in mind. And we're dealing with reality in daily life with this constant view of what's to come. Of with this awareness that you know what, because Jesus has come, He has spanned that gap. And that I can span that gap as well. And there's going to be a day coming when that gap will close. Not because I have arrived on my own, but because Christ has arrived to finish the good work He began in me. That Christ has arrived to usher in the new heaven and the new earth. That Christ has arrived and brought it all to me. And so meanwhile, this journey is just that. The, the climb is this battle to view the heights and stay at the bottom with an eye on that and working to be free from me. It's a continual journey of being free from me, for you, from you. And that's not a shortcut. If you've started on that journey, you, you know it. It's not a shortcut. That sounds kind of easy. Well, I just looked at Jesus and I know the future is secure. Okay. Have you done that? And then how does that work out if you're married and you got another person in your life who's maybe doing the same struggle, maybe not. Who's maybe doing it better than you, maybe not. How does that work out if you have children? Or if you want to be married and maybe you want to have a family or maybe you've lost someone you know it it feels like a shortcut but it's not and the only the only place you're going to find that peace that satisfaction that will sustain you is is to maintain that distance that man, it's available in a lot of ways right now, just there at the bottom of looking at Christ who came down for me and who has already returned to heaven and will, will close that gap for me one day. But to recognize, you know what, it's not yet. That is yet future. And I'm now living in this time of tension. And the biggest tension is just me living in this world and dealing with stuff and learning to come back to Jesus and start over again. We call that repentance, by the way with a hope that an end is coming. A glorious end. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do pray as the hymn goes that, that you would be 
our vision, that we would desire a view from the heights that is essentially you. That, that as we come into worship each Sunday or as we spend time with you during the week, that our heart's desire would be to see you. To see in your word, your promises of how things will be and your promises of how we can be and the power of the gospel to transform us, to become more like Jesus actually, really, incrementally, and painfully, but to become more like you as we continue to come back to the bottom and meet you there and lean on you to carry us and work in us. We pray in your strong name, Lord Jesus. Amen.